This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the studio is Cerise Howard. Hi, Cerise. Hi, Flick. <laughs> and via Zoom, Thomas Coldwell. Hi, Thomas. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. You say that now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm so sorry I can't be there in person. I mean, the original excuse was just simply geographical and logistical, but um, but now I'm I'm um, in lockdown and I'm isolating for seven days, so I really can't be there with you. Well, I'm glad we're able to still go ahead. Um, I think this is going to be an ongoing uh, hurdle that we'll have to leap over um, probably this year um, and maybe ongoing. Let's not get too festival culture broadly yeah, yeah, for a while absolutely. yet. So listeners, of course, will know Thomas uh, is the co-founder of our, the predecessor to Primal Screen, Plato's Cave. But Thomas, you're also the artistic director of the Europa Europa Film Festival, which kicked off on Friday. Uh, the festival is a celebration of European cinema and all its complexities, and we're going to do a bit of a dive into it in a moment. Uh, on tonight's show, we're going to explore single motherhood and the resurfacing of historical trauma in Pedro Amaldivar's Parallel Mothers. And later, we'll search for deeper meaning in Michael Showater's Christian evangelist biopic, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. But before we get into our reviews, uh, let's hit, hear some more about the Festival Thomas. Um, so as I said, Europa Europa launched three days ago um, and this is the first iteration of the festival. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. It's a brand new festival. This is the very, very first one. And the name of the festival, Europa Europa, is that, um, is that a reference to the 1990 war film? Uh, the same name? The, uh, the, the, um, no, no, okay. we, we are aware of that. Um, okay. I, I think when we, we, it was for a while, it was just going to be called the European Film Festival, and that nobody was particularly excited by that title. And I can't even remember who first said Europa, Europa, but we all jumped on it and said, oh, that, that's kind of cute and attention grabbing, and we like it. And of course, it's also the name of a very famous European film from the 90s, but we'll roll with that. <laughs> It is very catchy. Title. Well, that's also a great film. A good thing that Agnieszka Holland doesn't make bad films because otherwise you would have been lumped with um, bad jujus <laughs> from the get go. Yeah, it would have been unfortunate. Agnieszka Holland, thank you. I was I was going blank. Going, I do know the filmmaker's name, she but even has a European surname. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, we, and we've done a bit of that in this festival. Actually, we've had some very cannily titled films that we're screening. Yeah. So. Um, how, how exactly did this festival come about? So, yes. yeah. yeah, tell us from the beginning, the origin story of Europa Europa. Yes, and thank you for not saying to me, why on earth do we need another film festival, <laughs> which, which is a very, very reasonable question. But, um, look, the genesis of this really were from the team behind Moving Story Entertainment. So that's the organisation that, that run the Jewish International Film Festival, um, Fantastic Film Festival Australia and the Children's International Film Festival, which is how I got involved with them originally. 
Um, when I'd quit a sort of major job a few years ago, I very quickly was able to jump on board and program their children's films because I did have some expertise and background in doing that. And then when they had the idea of doing a European film festival, I sort of said to me, do you want to have a swing at this? And I said, hell yes. And their thinking and therefore my, you know, slightly became my thinking was that Europe is such a fascinating continent in terms of film and uh, film culture. There is a real sense of this kind of Europeanness with cinema, and yet at the same time, it's enormously diverse and eclectic. So there's a huge range of films you can explore. And I think European cinema holds a really special place in the hearts of Australian audiences as well. I think for many of us, I know certainly for me, it was the first encounter with subtitled cinema or, or you know, non-Hollywood um, Australian or, or, or um, Canadian or English cinema, foreign language films are from Europe that we first were able to encounter in the smaller art house cinemas that existed back in the day and um, on SBS. So we wanted to capture that idea of celebrating a really special, specific continent to, to film culture. And by doing so, look at what was the most exciting films coming from each country. So rather than just picking one country and just kind of sort of just bloating it full of whatever got made in the last 12 months that has a star attached, we wanted to sort of try to program it carefully, curate it carefully, depict sort of some of the most interesting, significant, exciting films from each country, and by doing so recognise the fact that there's a load of countries in Europe that don't get much of a look in in Australia. So, you know, yeah, we have French films in there, we have English and Spanish and Italian and, and German, the kind of countries you would expect, but we also wanted to look way beyond that and try to pick films from countries that don't normally get represented um, at all, like not, not even cinema releases, but rarely at other festivals and, and rarely on streaming services. And just, just on programming, so um, the opening night for Europa, Europa was this Friday, um, you went with Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir Part 2, which is, as the name suggests, a sequel to her 2019 um, The Souvenir, um, which is also playing at the festival. Uh, yesterday, film critic Mark Mode heralded the film um, with a five-star review and referred to it as a triumph. Um, it seems, you know, a slightly unusual choice to open a film festival with a sequel. Um, why did you select this film for the <laughs> opening night and, and kind of why were you keen to showcase uh, the work of um, Joanna Hogg? I know. Look, that was a lot of debate. I really felt conflicted about opening with a sequel. It does seem like an odd thing to do. Uh, I think the reasons we did it in the end were, I mean, the very basic, simple reason is it's such an incredibly good film. Um, it is such a wonderful piece of work and I think one of the better, I mean, it, there's a reason for a lot of international critics that appeared in their top tens last year and I think it's going to go down well extremely, it's going to go down extremely well this year as well as more people get to see it. So that was the first answer. It was just an amazing film. It had, you know, the fact that Tilda Swinton and, and Richard Ayoade is in it gives it that star power, which is nice to have for an opening night film. But sort of also what really struck me when I watched it is how it is a beautiful companion film to the original 2019 film, but it also works really well on its own. Like I think you could enjoy part two as a film in its own right without having seen part one perfectly fine. I think it would be a really interesting experience to go into that with this sort of absent figure who's referred to the whole time who influences the film without having seen that story and i'll even go one step further to say if you disliked the original souvenir which i was a bit on 
I wasn't too sure how I oh, felt really? about it. Yeah, it's 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 it, it was a divisive film, and I, I know people have really disliked it. I, I wasn't too sure, but after I saw part two, not only was I able to really enjoy part two when I didn't so much enjoy the first part, but I ended up appreci- appreciating the first part all the more so, having seen part two. Like I now I'm dying to revisit the first film now because it works better for me now having seen the second part. Mm. So. That was a bit of a long-winded explanation, but I think there was an answer in there somewhere. <laughs> there definitely was. No, I'm. I actually, I, I was surprised when I saw it on paper, but watching it on Friday, uh, I, it was actually like quite a meta uh, film to be watching because it's all about the filmmaking process. So what better and it's way? It's about filmmaking, yeah. yeah, which is always a great way to kick off a festival with something yeah. a bit self-reflexive and yeah. Absolutely. Now, Cerise, you're actually, you're going to be one of, we, there was a Q&A at the end of The Souvenir Part 2, which was an excellent Q&A with Joanna Hogg. And, and I think off to Kiva York there. Yeah, off. absolutely. She did a really fine job. I was so thrilled that she did that. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a wonderful thing as an audience member to watch the film and have that conversation afterwards. I think that for me is what makes the film festival. Well, that's a key thing for me, liveness mm. and a real sense of that you, you kind of had to be there. Yeah. And and yeah. there was um, some fun stuff that happened in the moment that was utterly <laughs> unscriptable, as unscriptable as some episodes, I think, in the films because yes. there's quite a lot of improv in Souvenirs Parts 1 and 2, undoubtedly. Yes. yes. Yeah, but, yes, I, I am. I have one lined up at yes. the end of the festival, Sunday week. Yeah. Earwig. Uh, Lucille Haji Halilovic's latest film. She's a director I much admire. Thank you for not making me say it. Say what? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm like with names. Uh, Yes, Cerise, I appreciate that. Sorry, go on, though. So I'm really thrilled that you're the person doing this Q&A. Oh, I'm reasonably chuffed myself. Um, Mm. She doesn't make a lot of films. Uh, There's 2004's Innocence. There's 2015 or 16th's evolution and now mm. there's this she's done some short work here and there and collaborated with her unpleasant partner Gaspar Noé a few times <laughs> I find him personally unpleasant that's just my personal opinion nothing to do with the cinema though a little bit um <laughs> I've got to keep that away from that Q&A got to keep that storm yeah, it's, don't, get, don't, don't yeah. bring that up yeah, yeah. don't bring that yeah. up yeah. get it out of your system now <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, um, on recorded live radio yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no one will listen back to this on demand. We're not going to. Anyway, um, yes, I'm very excited to be um, conducting that because it's a terrific film. It's a, like her others, very Mm. languid and mysterious and full of mystery about what um, the difference between older folk and younger folk and peculiar agendas that one set of people might have for another and. And just a little bit of somewhere occupying a weird liminal space between magic realism and surrealism. Um, very dreamy. This case, extremely gothic. Mm. Mm. I absolutely loved Evolution. So I have already penciled uh, your Q&A in my diary. Super. <laughs> yeah. Thomas, actually, can we, while we're on the topic of um, highlights such as Cerise's Q&A, what are, what are some of the films you're actually looking forward to in the program? Yeah, um... Well, obviously, I have seen them all, but I. Um, um, oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> what a flippant response. I'm sorry. You can tell I've had a rotten day. That was completely unnecessary. I... What are your favourites, Thomas? All right. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, there's a lot I'm really looking forward to seeing properly on the big screen. Um, I, I am dying to see Compartment Number Six with an audience on the big screen. Uh, 
absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, two strangers meet under unusual circumstances and seem like polar opposites and then form this beautiful bond that's sort of romantic in a non-sexual way. It's just very intimate and it's, it's for this finite amount of time. So it's a Finnish woman um, and a Russian man who are in a train carriage together on a long-distance journey. He's utterly obnoxious and drunk when they meet and you just think it's going to be the trip for hell for her. But they find this amazing common ground. It, um, yeah, I, I love that. It, it just has that kind of romantic, melancholic tone that I think um, people are really going to enjoy. I'm also really keen to be in, in the audience when we screen uh, The Innocence, the Norwegian horror film about young children who have telekinetic powers. And being young children, they're irrational, jealous, fall into fits of rage and fury, and it's utterly horrifying. It, it's... Um, I'm a bit blasé about horror these days. It sort of doesn't do a lot for me anymore. It's a genre I'm a bit, uh, just a bit, a bit over it. But um, this kind of made me get excited again. And I, I did do the thing where I watched scenes through my fingers thinking they're not possibly going to go there and show that, are they? <laughs> oh, yes, they are. <laughs> is this because you're now a parent? Do you think that that has changed <laughs> your film? Yeah, well, I mean, it is, I think it really taps into the fact that it's really tough seeing children perpetrating violence and being the victims of violence and um and animals aren't spared and adults aren't spared in this film either it really doesn't uh, nobody and nothing is safe in this film so it's a beautifully made film but it is very much a horror film so go and see that if that's your kind of thing Oh, wonderful. I'm going to be taking notes throughout this. Uh, so one of the things that stood out to me, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you are holding the festival simultaneously in Melbourne and Sydney. Is that correct? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah yep, yep. it's showing it. Yep, that was a bit higher than I meant it to be. It's showing at the Lido in Hawthorne and the Classic in Elsinwick, and then it's showing at the Ritz in Sydney. So they're... Um, I don't think even the dates are staggered. Yeah, it's all happening at the same yeah. time. And Q&As are being broadcast from one cinema into another, I believe. Yeah, so Clever. I think all the Q&As are going to be mm. done from Melbourne. And I think some of them may be pre-recorded through necessity. Obviously not the one you're doing, Cerise, and the opening night wasn't. But, um, yeah, they'll be broadcast mm. simultaneously. Well, Melbourne, <clears throat> Melbourne and Sydney, I mean, they're two cities that have been really uh, ravaged by the pandemic, um, you know, with closures and um, lockdowns. Were you at all apprehensive about how the festival would play out um, like that? And, and yeah, how, how did it actually, how did you manage it? Oh, God, yeah, and still am, of course. Mm. I mean, just very nervously sort of looking at the way things are going at the moment. I mean, I program this mainly, I sort of work two days a week on it for um, most of the second half of last year. And, and I think when I was first working on it, we were all under that delusion that everything was going to be fine come February and then over Christmas there was sort of that sinking feeling. But I think I think the fact that people are getting their third shots, I think the fact that kids are now getting their shots and we feel a bit safer about children, I, I get the sense people are feeling okay again about going out and doing things like this. I mean, I've been going to some, some screenings and, and, and feeling fine. Um, I, you know, it yeah. is, it's not an ideal time, but it's been affecting everybody. I mean, it's been heartbreaking looking at the way um, the, the pandemic has affected many festivals over the last two years, often unfairly, like festivals who I think had every right to feel like they could go ahead at the last minute had, had the rug pulled out from underneath them. So, um, 
Mm. Yeah, we're, we're all living with that. And mm. well, what we are trying to do, though, is deliver a cinema experience. Like, you know, I think people are also really keen to get out and have that communal feeling and seeing things on the big screen again. So, you know, let's hope we can continue to deliver that for the rest of the festival. Yeah. And, and, and bringing in the spirit of bringing people and indeed peoples together, you've restored the United Kingdom to Europe. So well done there. Well, no, it's, 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 <laughs> it's not the European <laughs> Union Festival. It's films from Europe. So, well, yeah. They're not on the country... continent either. Hey? They're not on the continent either. Uh, you know, you're going to make me get technical now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they identify <laughs> as being Europe, don't Do they? they? Isle, islands can sort of be in the range of the landmass. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's an interesting question because that there are countries that are contested. There are countries in there that not aren't all recognised as mm. being independent countries, or and there are some that are sort of ambiguous about are they European or are they Asian. I think we, we, we basically said if if people believe this country is European, then it's it's under consideration for us. Well, yeah. it's the story of Europe altogether. I mean, there are yeah. <laughs> all those, those is... official boundaries, and then there's how people identify culturally. So that's yeah. we went with the latter. And yeah. a lot of films are co-productions, so there's that mm. too. It's just pan-Europeanism all around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that happens a lot in Europe. And look, I mean, we, we've got a, we've got films that were co-produced by Mexico. We've got a film that was co-produced by Iraq. So in Kuwait, so it even goes beyond the continent in that way. Um, so if you've just tuned in. Uh, we've been speaking with Thomas Caldwell, who is the artistic director of the Europa Europa Film Festival, which started on Friday and it's going to be running until the 27th of February. For the full program and to book your tickets, you can head to europafilmfestival.com.au. It's now time for our first review of the night. <sighs> <sighs> That was Penelope Cruz and Melina Smith as two expectant mothers connecting over their pregnancies and the apprehension of being a single mother in Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers. Cerise, before we get into the film itself, um, how would you define Almodovar's style um, for any listeners who are maybe unfamiliar with his filmography? Well, it has evolved over the years, Mm. but he's always uh, had a strong interest in melodrama. Mm. which can be pitched in a couple of different registers. It can be for high camp, outrageous um, shenanigans, or it can be for heart-wrenching, um, uh, trauma-excavating um, psychological drama, which is more the register we're in with Parallel Mothers, very mm. much so. Yeah, absolutely. And trauma in a, in a few different ways, both the personal and historical. Um, I was really delighted to see um, Cruz once again paired with uh, a Moldavar. I think she's now starred in like seven of his I think this is her seventh film with him. Um, Thomas, what did you think of the casting? I mean, I always think Cruz has always done her best work in Spain and in particular with a Moldavar. So it's, it's, it's exciting whenever we know that she's going to be in one of his films because she does... I mean, her and Banderas, let's face it, are sort of the, the, the two of the biggest stars who've worked with him. 
and he just brings out their best. I, I love it. I love those kind of actor director pairings that just have some kind of um, some kind of synergy. I think where they just they, they just sort of second guess what each other wants from them, and and she always works beautifully in his film. So. I, I kind of knew going into this, and I always go into a Moldovar film with a bit of trepidation due to some of my own baggage, which I need to overcome. Um, but at the same time, I was so happy to know that she was going to be involved because chances are there was something special that was going to happen. Mm. And we have her um, paired up with Melena Smith as a very young mother in, in this film. Um, I thought the pairing between the two women was really beautiful and mm. they had a wonderful sense of... Um, I don't know, it's a very believable relationship and instant rapport. Um, had you seen Melena Smith in anything before? I don't Cerise? believe no. so. I think she's a relative newcomer. I did try to have a look through. Um, I find this, yeah, there's a lot to sort of unpack in this. I thought it was really, <laughs> of course, he's returning to mothers. <laughs> Classic Moldovar territory. Uh I'm still kind of processing it because I only saw it um, last night. Cerise, what, what, yeah, what are some of your thoughts on this? Well, I only saw it on Saturday and mm. there's been quite a bit that stuck with me. Um, and it's not just a, a film about parallels between two mothers. Um, and this, the, the bit of background here for folks is that there are two women who find themselves in the maternity ward side by side, get to know one another. They're about a generation apart. Mm. The elder is Penelope Cruz. The younger is uh, Melina Smith. Mm-hmm. And uh, they both have their own interesting backstories. Neither of them sought to have the babies they're about to have. Um, and there are the whole different um, uh, backstories there. But both have connections to trauma. In Penelope Cruz's case, it's Spain's 20th century. Um, uh, it's an ability to... to reconcile itself with its own atrocities in the mm. 20th century, you know, the atrocities perpetrated by a Francoist um, militia and, and probably civilian militias too. Something like 200,000 people were disappeared, a, a mind-boggling number of people, mm. and, and by all accounts Spain hasn't really come to terms with this. And in the case of the younger woman, um, you know, she – we don't necessarily want to give too much away of the film, but um, – that she has come to be pregnant came through personally traumatic um, means, and mm. they bond, and and, and the film just joins them again sometime later. They both have a child, and then all manner of chance, um, ch- chance plays its its hand, and mm. truly. Our Motivarian ways. You, know, it's, <laughs> you might think that's a little outlandish, and once or twice, I think this film actually is, but. That's such as the stuff of life too. Mm. Extraordinary chance encounters do send our lives into free fall. Yeah. And that happens time and again in this film. And these two women's lives intersect and intertwine. And uh, it's an utterly unpredictable film with an extremely moving finale. Mm. Actually, some of those moments in which they are playing around with surprise, I did have two um, men in front of me while I was watching this who who laughed every time <laughs> there was this big reveal. Um, I feel like that is perfectly captures a bit of the humour that always underlies um, Amaldivar's work. Also, um, his, some would say, obsession with motherhood and um, um, 
I suppose, heritage or, or, or what you pass on and, and what gets sort of um, the residue of, of these emotional connections. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm still kind of making my, my um, making sense of this. I did feel really strongly about it. I did really enjoy being in, the, in, this, um, in this film. I absolutely loved Pain and Glory. That was easily one of my standout His previous films. film. Yeah. Previous feature, that yes. is, at least. Mm. Yeah, and I think that yes. that really got me excited about watching this. Um, were you the same, Thomas? Were you a fan of uh, Pain and Glory? Yeah, I thought Pain and Glory was one of his probably best films. Yeah. I would agree, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I've got this silly baggage about him, mainly through association with um, how other people have responded to him over the years. I felt he has in the past gotten a free pass on certain things that other filmmakers aren't given. Hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, he does enjoy women going through trauma. He does make sexual violence funny. Um, and I don't think it's really ever been interrogated to the degree some of his contemporaries have been, but that's not his fault. That's me getting annoyed with the hypocrisy of film critics. And if I obsess about that too long, I'll just be on Twitter having fights with people all the True, time. But it is him as well. I mean, obviously, yeah. he, he done it. It was yeah, him no, that he, done it. <laughs> there are, there's some questionable things in these films, but that's what makes him an interesting artist. And, um, and I, I think this and before it, yeah, Pain and Glory, you know, he's doing some of his, his best work. Um, I wasn't too sure what to make of it while watching it. I was enjoying being in the moment. But afterwards, the thought that really struck me, that really made me kind of love this film, is at its heart and what we're following is this very interesting relationship between these two mothers and the, um, the situation they find themselves in and how that sort of evolves into a type of family unit that's highly unconventional mm. and that's against the background of these fascist brutality and murder which the country still hasn't come to grips with and it seemed like a very deliberate way of confronting that and saying to history look what we have done now look at where this country has evolved that that we have this fluid attitude towards sexuality and gender and family and that is such a triumph against this fascist nationalist past. And I found that incredibly moving and such a powerful statement for him to make that way. I love also that they've used the um, narrative of pregnancy in order to, to sort of stage that, um, that, that recreation of the family or maybe the disintegration mm. of this idea of the nuclear family. Um, yeah, there's some really beautiful moments and I too really enjoyed the ending of this film. I think that it was really quite, as you say, symbolic. Um, there's also, um, I mean, he, he is a controversial figure. Um, I did see that um, the original poster, I think, for the film, which features, I was Therese is smiling because I know that you featured this on your own social media yeah. post. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at it poster. now. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful poster. For, for listeners, it's basically, um, from memory, it's um, a close-up of a nipple and I think there's a milk coming out of the nipple and it was deemed by Instagram, I think it was, as being obscene. Um, So it was actually censored Um, and then there was an apology put out because um, they decided that, no, no, it was okay because it was an, an artistic nipple. That artistic nipple. <laughs> only exhibiting something extraordinarily natural, but, yeah, yes. oh, avert my own gaze. Um, I have to say that the, um, and I know I touched on this before, but the relationship between the two women is really fascinating and I, I actually really loved that this was 
a film about um, family that was so focused on the um, female lineage. So um, both, um, so Janice, who um, is, the, I would say, the main character, I suppose, her, she, you know, her father was um, killed when she was younger and she was brought up by her grandmother, well, her mother and then her grandmother. And we see these two women who are facing raising a child by themselves and they actually turn to female friends, they turn to their mother, oh, in one case um, Anna, the younger girl turns to her mother for support. Men are largely absent or peripheral figures in Parallel Mothers. Um, I thought that could also be somewhat of a statement that Amaldabar is making perhaps. And also it was refreshing that there are so many points in this film where the characters could have started screaming at each other and being full of rage and hatred for circumstance and 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 deception and, and emotion. But there was just these sophisticated and highly convincing, very sophisticated ways they looked beyond any issues or conflict to try to find common grounds of love and beauty. And, and even the men in the film, they are periphery, but they're also, the, the, you know, the person who the Penelope Cruz character has a child with, he's not a dick. He's a decent yeah. person and he's it's quite fine by everybody concerned that he takes a step back. And, again, I just found that really sophisticated. They weren't making this modern family a battleground. They were making it something to celebrate and a sort of step forward and, and what the future might look like. Mm, and I wonder if that well, that probably ties in really well with that other narrative that underlies all of this is, you know, what how we reconcile with this traumatic and violent past of the, the Spanish War. Well, our motive are really privileges photography as a medium for engaging with that, for, mm. for, with history and with the present. And it's no coincidence that Cruz's character Janice is a photographer by mm. trade too. It's um, and look as ever, Almodovar's mise en scène is beautiful. It's more beautiful than it needs to be. I mean that hospital. I would happily ha- have a hotel stay <laughs> in that hospital. It's so pretty. Yeah. Um, but the, the power of the image, mm. as in all of his films, is strong. But here, it's really got a lot more textual heft to it. Not least in in the the final image, which really. It's not a, a giveaway to talk about this in the abstract, I think, mm. but it really does feel like an invitation to step into that image, mm. I feel, and it's, that's the strength for this film is in that the epilogue, yeah. and it's, it's potent. Absolutely. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, it's interesting. What, I feel like, um, you know, his previous film, Pain and Glory, I mean, like it's, it's impossible to sort of capture all his entire filmography. But I feel like this one was, for me, one that felt so directly connected up with um, a very real, the real events of the Spanish Civil War and the horror of that. And I actually really liked that he made it so direct, both in the dialogue, in the narrative, in, in exactly what he was showing mm. us. There's something. And he's never powerful. done that before, has he? I don't think. I've, usually, I don't think he's yeah. ever been that overtly political. No, no. And I love. There's an yeah. exchange actually, touching upon that idea of being political. There's an exchange that Janice um, Penelope Cruz's character has with Anna's mother, in which um, Anna, Anna's mother talks about not be, being apolitical because she'll be whatever they need her to be. And, uh, you know, Janice looks sort of seemingly quite um, just shocked at this. And there's a wonderful exchange as well between um, Janice and Anna about um, that lack of understanding perhaps of you don't know the history of, of this place. Um, there's lots of moments with that within that of the film. 
Yeah, and I liked that as well. It, I mean, I, I got a similar had a similar experience with this as a very different film, but um, with watching last year, um, uh, uh, what is it, the, the Power of the Dog, oh, which yeah. is enjoying so much being in the moment of the film, and it's not really until the very very end that suddenly it all ties together and makes sense in a way that's just so perfect. I love that. I love knowing that I've been taken on this journey by you know a master filmmaker who who can hold out until the very end to sort of show you what this all means um, but not be frustrated watching it. Like I was not mm. frustrated for a moment in either film, even though I couldn't quite figure out how it was all going to connect together. Um, and it's so rewarding when it just does nail that ending and it all makes sense thematically and narratively. Mm, it is quite it's a delightfully surprising film. Um, yeah, 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 it is, yeah. <laughs> Um, if you would like to see Pedro Moldova's Parallel Mothers, it is currently playing at all major and independent cinemas. It is now time for our final review of the night. So where Parallel Mothers, um, you know, through Janice's search for the graves of family members that were killed during the Spanish um, Civil War, you know, it, it evoked real events through melodrama. This next film, um, it kind of turns real events into melodrama. This is, of course, Michael Showater's biopic about Christian television evangelist Tammy Faye and Jimmy Baker. You know, thank God for a mom and dad who will stand with a young person. I think that's so important because no matter what happens to a young person in their lives, they're still your boy. They're still your girl, no matter what happens in their life. And I think it's very important that we as mom and dads love through anything. And that's the way with Jesus, you know. Jesus loves us through anything. Jesus loves me just the way I am. Jesus loves the way that I love. And have you found it to be true that people want to stay away and that they're afraid to be in the same room as you and breathe the same air that you breathe? Yes, Timmy. And how sad is that, that we as Christians who are supposed to love everyone are afraid so badly of an AIDS patient that we will not go up to them and put our arm around them and tell them that we care. Directed by Michael Showater, The Eyes of Tammy Faye charts the origin, the soaring success and the very dramatic fall from grace of Tammy Faye and Jimmy Backer, two Christian evangelists who created uh, the world's largest religious broadcasting network and a theme park apparently, um, which the film doesn't cover. But the film does cover a lot of ground um, from fraud uh, to the AIDS crisis uh, to misogyny, uh, the shift in the church from protecting the week to sort of capitalist individualism. Um, Thomas, were you familiar with Tammy Faye um, and Jimmy Becker before watching this film? Weirdly, I was. Oh, and watching really? this film, well, that's the thing. I was trying to figure out what, how the hell do I know who these people are? And I think it was, one, as a kid, seeing satires of them in Mad Magazine. I'm not kidding. And then... And then watching late night TV show, when we first started getting things like Letterman, that kind of thing, I think I saw them being referred to. So, well, maybe I'm imagining it, but somewhere through consuming American satire, whether it was, yeah, mag Mad Magazine as a kid or the late night shows I watched as a teenager in early 20s, um, I got a sense of what they were, but I really didn't go any deeper 
than that. I was just aware of 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 the of the shtick um, enough that I was really interested to see this film to basically fill in all those gaps to mm. find out well who were these people, what was their cultural impact, who were they beyond the parodies because they're they're clearly so ripe for parody. Yeah, I kind of wanted lot, to man. see the people and the movement behind that. Mm, and the, this is um, there was a documentary. Um, I haven't seen the documentary. I have to be honest. And you no, no, no vibe. I understand RuPaul was quite instrumental in that documentary, and it was mm. really interested in the figure of Tammy Faye Baker uh, in connection mm. with queer culture, mm. which might come as a surprise associating Tilly evangelism um, with uh, with the struggles of gay people, especially during the AIDS mm. epidemic. Um, I, I, that so, was a revelation. That was the biggest mm. revelation of this film, I think. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Yeah, revelation's an interesting word in connection <laughs> with that. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I was a, aware of these two as historical figures, but I'd never seen their work, let's say. Mm. I was aware of tele-evangelism as a phenomenon. Um, though I didn't realise it went as far back as it evidently did. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how I became aware of it, though I was aware um, there, there was a, a satire. There was a, a film, I think, called Pass the Ammo, starring Tim Curry as a tele-evangelist in the maybe late 80s or so, um, which was, I think, quite broad in its satire. But then these are kind of larger-than-life characters too, Jim and Tammy Faye, um, as portrayed by Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain. Uh, lots of Oscars talk about these performances. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of larger than life. They're morally complex. The film does capture something of that complexity. Yeah. They're clearly extremely flawed. Um, but I, I found that this film was pitched in a really strange register for me. I didn't somehow quite land. I didn't feel much of anything and I wondered if it should have been I'm not quite sure if it needed a touch of Almodovar it is most outrageous <laughs> actually to make this really mm. land it just felt a bit like punches were pulled somewhat it was a bit chased and um, that's a great word for it actually chased yeah. because really when you think about what is and you touched upon this before with um, mentioning of RuPaul's involvement um, or at least um, interest in these characters um you know, the eyes of Tammy Faye, it's an interesting title because it's um it's the film starts with Tammy Faye and a person off camera who's not seen, um, talking about how she's basically trying to prompt her to take off her makeup. And of course her makeup, which is this elaborate mask, um, really long lashes, um, permanently um permanent lip liner and eyeliner. Um it's very it's a face in excess, which you know, an excess is something that the queer queer um, community has um, weaponized for with <laughs> great dramatic effect um, as drag culture sort of will tell us I was really hoping it would lean more into that and you know the accusations that Jimmy faces um, because and I say accusations because of the way homosexuality was criminalized um, and you know within particularly within that um, that community. I just thought there was so much in there and it's a shame that sexuality seems to be at the core of this story and yet it does seem very chaste. Well, it feels repressed, mm. not just narratively for these characters but even in the very narrative fabric of this film it feels quite repressed. That was my vibe. Mm. Thomas? It, yeah, look, I think it's just a conventional biopic and I think that was a wasted opportunity. Um, I appreciated watching it because I finally 
found out who these people were and their cultural importance. But it was more like watching a very long reenactment from a documentary. And, and I mean, I'll, someone like a Motivar could have done incredible things with this. I mean, he would have made it look good for a start. It would yeah. have been so, so drab. I mean, Michael Showalter, who directed I mean, I don't don't know much about the guy, but I've looked at his filmography, and he does kind of come across as a director for hire, who mm. who who is competent and capable. Um, I mean, I think The Big Sick is the only film really of note that he's directed. It, even that is a credit more to its um it, its writers and its performers. So, I think there is missing potential there. Um, I kept on thinking I would have liked something more on along the lines of I, Tonya, which was, mm. I mean, I know not everyone loved that film, but I, I, I really Me did too. like it. Yeah. Oh, we all liked it? Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> because it did have that kind of manic, hysterical kind of people behaving so badly, but you kind of loved the vicarious nature of it. I sort of wanted more of that. And I think there was moral complexity to, to go in further with this film. I did appreciate the fact it took them and their faith seriously, though. I think it could have really ridiculed them, and I, I quite like the fact it presented their faith as it as it was. And as somebody who has no engagement with faith or spirituality, but I find it very fascinating, I actually did quite appreciate seeing the world to a degree through the eyes of these people with these beliefs. And 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 I did get a sense of the significance of Tammy. Um, of Tammy Faye going up against the religious institution when she, you know, declares that loving everybody, no matter who they are, surely that's a Christian thing to do and how she, yeah, embraced the AIDS movement and, and LGBTQI people before they were even using mm. that, that, that term. But that's, um, but that's the so shift. I, I was glad I watched it, but yeah. it's, such, it's such a conventional film. Yeah. See, I just realised who should have directed it. And it's Paul Verhoeven. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in light of Benedetta. Um, yeah, that's how you take religious mania into truly sexually charged dimensions <laughs> and run with it. We would have had a lot of sex scenes between Je- Jessica Chastain and, um, mm. and what's his name, Andrew Garfield. And yet there still would have been pathos. You can have it all. That. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, all I want from a film. Yeah, Yeah, pathos and sex. Not necessarily in that order. (laughs) There is um, (laughs) some... I like that we're just doing a quick, like, re-edit of of how we'd actually shoot this film. Um, I agree with you both about what is missing from this film. Um, One of the main things is there's, you know, on the surface there is this really interesting shift that's obviously happened with their faith. As you say, Thomas, it's really presented very in earnest, um, which I think is actually good. I think it works really well for us to have grounding in the characters and to understand their motivations. But then... There's these interesting things like when they both say on television, on one of the um, biggest broadcasts that homosexual, you know, God loves homosexuals. That's a huge statement for that time. And I just mm. wanted to know more about how they were able to to get there because, uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I just found that a much more interesting story and it was just missing. There was this huge absence. And even like we see how, ta- you know, Tammy's early childhood, but I didn't really understand what, about her life or her experience brought her to be so open and so loving, at least, you know, in what she was saying to these people, you know. I just think that's a really interesting pairing and uh, I don't know. You just it's don't not get there. It. No, it's you're not right. There. It's not there. <laughs> it's not there. Mm. There's a few things frustrating about the film mm. and I was felt really conflicted that a film that looked to me like a sort of a telemovie, mm. you know, maybe it should reflect the medium it's um, – 
fixated upon. You know, it is about television and what mm. te- how television enabled a certain sort of mass reach for evangelists, you know, far above, far, you know, orders of magnitude in excess of what they'd had before. But also, um, yeah, I, I, I don't actually want to go to the cinema to see something that looks like 80s TV. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. It worked with No, that you know, wonderful film just, by Pablo Lorraine. But this, I was just going yeah. to say, that's a great example of how to make that work, yeah, isn't it? That yeah, that worked. Uh, this yeah. didn't. For me, no, it didn't. It didn't quite work with me for me either. I I wanted to like it more. I actually there were elements of it that definitely prompted me to think um, just about how fascinating uh, a character Tammy Faye is, and especially when we look at it through a queer lens. Um, but I just wanted that to be made really explicit. And yes, I did want some sex scenes <laughs> missing, <laughs> and even even more more of that evolution between the sort of the good Christian girl mm. to this sort of bordering on grotesque kind of makeup and appearance. Like, mm. I, you know, there was a very deliberate process there where she changed herself radically to look this way. And, again, that was kind of missing from the film. And yeah. that's such a huge part of her image and the ideal we have of her in popular culture. Mm. I kind of feel like they were just trying to fit too much in, but uh, then yep. they have huge things. Huge, huge emissions. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, if you would like to see The Eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, it's currently playing at all major and independent cinemas. You've been listening uh, to Primal Screen with Cerise Howard, Thomas Caldwell and myself, Flick Ford. On tonight's show, we chatted to Thomas, uh, who is the artistic director of Europa Europa Film Festival about how the festival started and what you should watch. You can find the full program and book your tickets at europafilmfestival.com.au. You must be somewhat relieved, Thomas, to have it uh, at least up and running now. Day three. It is, oh, oh, such a relief. <laughs> when we, we launched it about three weeks ago and that's always the, the great moment where it's out there, people yeah. know about it and, and people seem excited and it's like, oh... This has all been worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're very much looking forward to um, seeing that. And that's till February 27, I want to say. Correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, check out the program. There's heaps in there, including, Cerise, your Q&A. What are the details for that? Uh, it's the 20th, not the last Sunday, actually, the penultimate Sunday <laughs> of the festival. Uh, classic cinemas a bit after six, I think, uh, with Lucille Hadjia Halilovic, director of Airwig. A wonderful, peculiar, gothic fable. Hmm. (laughs) Be sure to uh, be checking that out. (laughs) Um, And on tonight's show, we also reviewed Pedro Amaldivar's Parallel Mothers and Michael Showater's The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Both of those films are currently playing at all major and independent cinemas. If you missed any of the show and you'd really like to uh, listen back, you can go to rrr.org.au or you can just listen via the app. Uh, You can also follow us on our Instagram at primal underscore screen underscore show or on Twitter at primal underscore screen or just follow us on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us, Thomas. It's such a pleasure chatting film with you well honestly the pleasure was all mine i've missed this tremendously and this was lovely thank you for having me oh it's our pleasure and thank you cerise it's always lovely having you in the studio all of our pleasure (laughs) so much pleasure (laughs) (laughs) the pleasure that was missing from the eyes of (laughs) exactly (laughs) 
and refreshingly little pathos as we close the show. <laughs> Absolutely. And a final shout out to Carl Chapman for panelling and providing producing assistance. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 